but it how many of us um have somebody pretty close to us family member <coughs> somebody close friends workmates that are perhaps maybe held in addiction how many of us have people not too far away that are involved in uh, sexual uh, confusion deviancy different moral issues outside of God's boundaries and close to us raise our hands just that's the world we're in amen and we're, we're kind of been put on the defensive Jesus told us it would be like Sodom and Gomorrah did he not it turns out he wasn't kidding um, how many of us have people close to us, you know, alcohol, domestic issues, serious domestic issues, broken homes, kids who don't really know who they're, where, you know, it's, 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 it's the culture we're in. And sometimes in, in, in the family of God, it's just, it's just so overwhelming what we're facing, what's going on in the world. You know, they've, they, they've introduced quietly behind the scenes uh, a digital dollar with the intent to take away the dollar with the intent that they can control everything in America like they do in China. I'm a student of Bible prophecy. I mean, that's what I do, my main thing around the country. There's some bad stuff coming down the pike. I think Jesus would say to us, fear not. <laughs> I'm bigger than all that. I don't think we have to be fearful, but I just, I care about people. And I want tonight, when we leave here in maybe 45 minutes, to have more hope and more confidence than we had when we came in here. We're going to peek at a few scriptures that are going to do exactly that. First the negative, then the positive. I'm going to weave in some Stories and testimonies. And I think when we leave here, we're going to be ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Amen. <clears throat> the negative side, I'm in Exodus chapter 20. i got to pull out these foolish glasses because everything I look at is a blur up close. Oh, I'm in Genesis 43. That won't do. Exodus chapter 20. Moses is on the mountain. God's giving the Ten Commandments. And along with the violation of these Ten Commandments comes, as it were, a curse. Oh, man, I can't look through that. Ooh. Oh, that's better. Man, I hope it's, it looks like it's going to be this way from here on out, but it's hard to, hard to see this. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Here's, here's the, the negative. This is foundational. Oh, I found if I close my eyes, I don't get dizzy. We had a blind preacher at our church. <laughs> well, I used to be blind drunk. <laughs> now I'm just... <laughs> um, all this evil is really the out flowing of this these are laws that govern the universe and it says in verse 5 last part visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children 
unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. Little leaven, Jesus said, leavens a whole lump. I mean, things can, sin is powerful. It ruled our household growing up. Sin costs you more than you want to pay. It'll take you farther than you want to go, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Amen? And we just pretend that sin's not sinful as we sit back and watch it destroying our culture. If you have a nuclear family intact, man, you are a rare minority today. My great-grandfather came from Hungary in 1900, brought three little children, had five more here. My grandfather was born in the old country. He was a little boy when he came to America. He found out they were farmers. He found out he could make more money making moonshine than he could growing vegetables, so he became a moonshiner. Raised his kids, my grandpa and his brothers, to be bootleggers until Prohibition ended, and they all went into the liquor business. My father was raised in the liquor business. I was raised in the liquor business. And there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. Okay? Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 2, I don't know if I say that right, Habakkuk, uh, <clears throat> that there's a curse upon those that give strong drink to their neighbor and get them intoxicated. And that was my, f- I'm with the fourth generation of that, folks. And so the drug culture had come through. And, uh, I remember on a Friday night at a YMCA dance in the bathroom, some guy, some dude tried to sell me a joint, a marijuana cigarette. I beat him up. Drugs are evil! And I just beat the guy. I wasn't a tough guy, but he needed beat up. He needed whooped, so I whooped him. I'm 15 years old, boy. Yeah, don't, don't sell drugs. That's bad. That's the devil. That was, that was Friday night. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I'm back at school. Debbie Mauser, I'm ninth grade. She's 11th grade. She's beautiful. <laughs> Debbie Mauser. Oh. She, she came up to me. Want to smoke a joint with me after school? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And I did. In myself, we were not a Christian family. Without Jesus, we have no strength. Amen. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. And so that began. Remember that curse we just read about? To the third, now I'm the fourth generation of Herget men. Alcohol, 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 and for me, alcohol and Drugs right over the over the top for the next four years. I'm high. I'm here to tell you today. There is a power that is greater than a generational curse. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel. The curse is still, we're under that curse in our family. On my mother's side, so that's my father's side. That's the side that biblical genealogies normally follow. I think that's the stronger curse. I'm under that stronger 
Herget, uh, alcohol, generational curse. On Mama's side, Grandma Mosier, Mary Mosier, comes to know Jesus as her Savior at age 66. She was a lost Lutheran, self-righteous. I don't need to be born again because I'm a good woman. And the Holy Spirit convicted her and brought her an understanding of the gospel. Mary, you're not saved by the works of righteousness, which you've done. In a cultural way, you're a good woman, but before God, you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Grandma Mosher was gloriously saved at age 66. Now she's 76, and she's dying in a rest home. And she wrote a prayer in her old Schofield study Bible. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm old. I'm dying. I did not have you in my heart as a young woman when I was raising my family. She said, now I have no money, I have no time, I have no strength, I have no talents, I have nothing to give you. But in Jesus' name, she wrote this prayer in pencil. It was, she was elderly and her hands were shaken. She was eaten up by diabetes and bli blindness and all kinds of stuff. Not, not well. But in Jesus' name, oh, there is a name given among men whereby we must be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. The name of Jesus. In the name, the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. I have many grandsons. Now in her circle of family, it intersected with the Herget side, okay? You know how those family... And in her circle, there was a prodigal family. There was a, the rest of the family were just kind of hardworking Americans, and but the Herget side, we were the crazy ones. We were the wild people. We were the party till we uh, partied too much. In Jesus' name. I have many grandsons. Please save one of my grandsons and call him to preach. May 6, 1962. Grandma died in June of 1964. Eight years after she died, ten years after she wrote the prayer. I have many grandsons. Please save one of my grandsons and call him to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Eight years after she died, one of her grandsons down at the park in Lucas, Ohio, copped a bag of dope, turned on all of his friends. He's down there minding his own business. God says, Duke, called my name. Jesus Christ lighteth the path of every man that cometh into the world. Somebody say amen. Even if they're smoking marijuana cigarettes? Yep. That's not a problem that the Holy Spirit and the Son of God cannot overcome. God saved me and called me to preach. Older people don't ever 
Don't ever underestimate the power of your prayers. Maybe you need to get your Bible out tonight and write down a prayer. Of course, I knew nothing about that prayer. So I came home from Bible college in, in my senior year. My Aunt Ilo, her daughter, Mary Moser's daughter, my great Aunt Ilo, said, Duke, you need to come over to the house. I have something I want to show you and give you. And she opened Grandma's old study Bible. It was all tattered and worn and underlined and marked up and written in. And she showed me that prayer. She said, I was doing, I said, I'm going to do my yearly devotion, read through Mother's Bible. And she found that prayer. She said, I thought you might like to see this prayer grandmother wrote. I just shared it with you. Does that encourage you a little bit? That's how Jesus works. God knew that I was going to get saved. Amen. He wasn't shocked. No, he knew from he knows who's going to get saved and who's not because he's God. We can see the present and the past. He can see past, present, and future. So he, God, puts on Grandma Mosher's heart what God is fixing to do. I wonder how much confidence Grandma Mosher had when she wrote down that prayer. Because by the time she died, little Dookie was getting into some big trouble. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture that gives us a lot more hope. This is way back in 1 Peter chapter 2. Oh, man, my Bible's falling apart. You know, if your Bible's falling apart, probably your life is not falling apart. Amen? But if your Bible's untouched, your life will probably be falling apart. Peter's writing, writing, and it's not really Peter. It's the Holy Spirit writing through Peter. Amen? He's hitting the topic of the impossible people. Do you have any people in your life that just feel impossible? He's writing to us about those kind of people in our lives. They'll never come to Jesus. I've tried. They're not open. They won't listen. They're, they're bound. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. They're in the dark. They don't even care. Those kind of people. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. I got a plan for even for those kind of people. You see, I used to be one of those people. Some of us here in this room were those kind of people. But such were some of you, the scriptures say. First Peter two eleven, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust that which war against the soul. He's talking to those of us who believe, and he's equipping us now to come up against those impossible people that won't listen to us. They hate church. They hate God. They hate us. They only tolerate us because we're family, and they have to. They want to silence us if we bring up, if you want to pray at the dinner table. 
And he talks, to, and, and you know what you and I can do about that? Nothing. Isn't that frustrating? We've been praying for my wife's family for 45 years, and none of them have, some of them made professions. There's just no evidence of God in, in, in it. And we love them. And they're not wicked people. They're just in the dark. And we, we share anything about faith and God and Jesus. It creates an issue. And we've been walking on those eggshells for 45 years. How many can relate to that? Say amen. Yeah. Those kind of people. And it feels like there's nothing we can do about it. Here's what he says. Abstain from fleshly lust. Well, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can do that. Without the Holy Spirit, I'll be given in to fleshly lust. But I have the Holy Spirit. And so forget about those people right now. Don't give in to earthly, fleshly lusts. Stay close to the Lord. Stay filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't worry about what you can't do. Worry about, I don't mean worry, I mean just be concerned about what you can do. Be clean. Be morally clean. Watch what, be careful where your eyes, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears where you hear. Be careful little feet where you go, for your Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful little eyes what you see. Don't be given to fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation, that means manner of life, honest among the Gentiles. They're watching us. Isn't it amazing how lost people know how we ought to behave? And they're never wrong. You're at the, you're at the office and you're having coffee and you gossip just a little bit. And they hear you. What do they say? A real Christian would gossip. And they're right. They just have an amazing discernment on how you and I ought to behave. The Holy Spirit gives them the right to judge us. He doesn't give us the right to judge them. And they're quick to judge. He said, have your manner of life, your conversation, honest among the Gentiles. They're watching you. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, and if you study the word good works out in the Greek language, it means pattern of good works. After I got saved, my mother knew if it was Sunday morning at 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock, she knew where I was at. She didn't have to wonder. She knew if it was Sunday night at 6 o'clock or Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, she knew where I was at. She knew that I wouldn't be buying booze for my little brothers anymore. The Holy Spirit established in my life what I could never, ever do without him, a pattern of good works. Not as good as I would like, but it was a whole lot better than it used to be. It's not in my, pattern, my power to make them believe. When I became a believer, they were not happy. I told my mom I got saved. I thought she was going to hug me. She got, she, just, she got angry. You were saved when you were two weeks old. I took you to the church and the minister sprinkled you. I got your document upstairs. Little Dookie got baptized. He's going to heaven. Mom said, you're going to heaven because I say so. Here's your little Jesus paper. Sorry, Mom, I love you. Just don't okay. If you've got religion, just keep it out of this house. We've got enough problems without you dragging religion in here. I didn't know I had religion. I just had Jesus in my heart. My dad. Dad, 
I got saved. <laughs> I didn't know you were drowning, man. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Hello. You don't want to hear anything about it. My brothers padlocked the door to their bedroom. No rednecks allowed, especially you, Duke. They got angry at me. I, I got rid of my Sabbath, bloody Sabbath albums and all my filthy demonic music. They, were, they wished I would have given it to him. They cried when I fl fl flushed my last bag of dope and my last bottle of Jack Daniels down the toilet. Give it to us! Give it to us! They cried and they didn't. Nobody at home was happy when I got saved. When I went away to Bible college, they just shook their head and said, you're wasting your life. Please don't go to Bible college. You were a fool. That's my family tree. Did you listen to what God said? What could I do to fix that? Nothing. They wouldn't even listen to me. But here's what I could do. With his help, I can abstain from fleshly lust. The drawer full of pornography got burnt the next morning after I got saved. Somebody say amen. And he began to change my life, abstaining from fleshly lusts. They're watching us that they may behold your pattern of good works, which they shall behold. They can argue with what we say, but they cannot argue with who we are. He said, don't worry about them for now. Just keep your eyes on me. Establish a pattern of good works. I'll help you. They're going to be watching you. Oh, here it is. Are you ready? Here's the good news. But there's a generational curse. Great-grandpa was a moonshiner. Grandpa was a bootlegger. Dad was a bartender. You're a drug dealer. doesn't matter. God's greater than all that. They will glorify God in the day of visitation. God said, uh, Yo, Duke, uh, don't worry about that. I got it. You focus on me. Me and you, we're going to walk together. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to just make you so radically different than you used to be. They're going to be watching you. They're going to see me in you high and lifted up. They're going to make fun of you. But when they make fun of you, you're going to feel blessed. Happy are you. Blessed are you when all men shall revile you and speak evil against you falsely for so persecuted the prophets. And when they were beaten for their faith in Jesus Christ, the disciples went on their way. Acts 5.42, they went on their way rejoicing. God had a privilege to suffer for his namesake. He said, I'm going to, I'm just going to let you sort of kind of die, Duke, who you used to be. I'm going to radically take over and I'm going to fill you. I'm going to redirect you in every area of your life. I'm going to lift myself up in you. And then one day, I'm going to visit them. One day, in the day of visitation, they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Or you listen, church. This is big stuff. This is deep but it's really simple, too, isn't it? Don't worry about it. Just walk with me. Let me uh, build you up. Let me s strengthen you in the inner man. And I remember 
called me and God began to work in my life. My sister got in my face and told me off. I mean, she just cursed me out about the gospel. Don't you bring that to me. On two occasions, she cursed my name. She cursed God's name. You drag religion into everything. Leave me alone. <clears throat> but I was growing in the Lord as reading his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And I was involved in church all the way. I didn't go to church. Church was my life. My whole life is built in and around and for and through the church of Jesus. Because the gates of hell can't prevail against church. So I'm going to be a church guy because I don't have any strength, but I'm going to cash in on the strength of the church of Jesus. 2 a.m. one morning, my phone rang. It was my sister. Come over here right now. I need what you got. I need Jesus as my Savior. Can you come over now? I went ran over. It took about 15 minutes. Chelsea Square Apartments. Got on her knees, and my dear sister received Jesus as her Savior. Thank you, Jesus. She saw. She just told me that this morning as she spent the night at her house. She takes in homeless preachers and their wives. And, and she said, I saw how Jesus changed you. And then her life was falling apart. And she knew the Holy Spirit told her she needed what I needed. My mama remarried after mom and dad were divorced. She jumped from the frying pan into the fire. He was not a good dude. And he hated the family. He just ripped her away from our family. And she was our mom. She was everything mama. She was awesome. And he just took her away. Physically moved her to Florida. And my mom was all alone without Jesus. And she was in Florida away from her family. And it wasn't long after my mama really told me off about following Jesus. When I got baptized, she did come to watch it. She was so disgusted. I already had you baptized, but I'll come. And then um, <clears throat> about a year later, <clears throat> I'd just been saved that first year. I was working at Rocky's Pub. <laughs> I wasn't a bartender, but I was a, I was, I was a janitor from, nine, from 7 to 9 a.m. And then I was a dishwasher and cook from nine to five six days a week 50, 60 hours a week bringing home 99 dollars <clears throat> those were the days my friend i thought they'd never end <laughs> and uh i told mom uh, mom i gotta quit my job at the pub i'm studying to be a minister and being a minister and working at rocky's pub just doesn't feel right i need to get away from the liquor business even though I wasn't serving the booze, I just, I just didn't want to be around it anymore. I grew up with it. I just, and Rocky was good friends with my dad, and our, our Mansfield was a, a a rust town, and everything, all the businesses were shutting down, the factories, and it was there was no work. My mama said, "You can't quit. You you just, you committed to helping me pay the bills. Dad's gone, and I need your money, and and you got that car payment. You're going to quit your job. There's no jobs in Mansfield. You can't do it. This is crazy. You're taking this religious thing too far. She was watching me. Remember what the scripture said? She's watching me as I'm following my heavenly Father. It doesn't make sense 
to, to get, you give, you give, and you get. It, just, it doesn't make sense. Pray for those that despitefully use you, love your enemies. That doesn't make any sense, does it? So Mama was watching Jesus step up and take over my life. She thought I was crazy. You better not do that. I said, Mom, i got to do what my Heavenly Father says. I want to honor you, and I love you, but I'm just trusting God to take care of me, and hopefully I'll be able to pay, pay some money to help feed the family. I went to work on Monday morning. Mom was furious, and I resigned at Rocky's Pub. Rocky's wife was not happy at all. We'll give you more money. We need you. You're a good worker. I'll give you $50 a week more money. No, don't leave. And I told her, and she said, why do you want to leave? I didn't want to tell her. But she begged me, and I told her, I don't want to be around liquor. And then she got really mad. Oh, you think you're better than all of us? No, I don't think I'm better than anybody. And she just bad stormed out. I, I resigned at 9 a.m., 11 a.m. I got a phone call from my still unsaved sister who just told me off about Jesus. I get a phone call from my sister, who was assistant director at a sheltered workshop for handicapped people. <clears throat> in, in Mansfield, Ohio. She said, do you know anybody that needs a job? I said, yeah, me. She said, can you come in today at your, on your break at 2 o'clock? So I took my br lunch break at 2 o'clock, went in, and I got hired immediately. I stopped working 60 hours a week, started working 30 hours a week, stopped making $99 a week, and started bringing home $180 a week. Not working around booze, but working around special needs people, which I absolutely love. And I went home, and Mom said, did you quit your job today? I said, yes, ma'am. I knew you would. Crazy. What are you going to do now? I said, I'm starting a week from Monday at, at the workshop, and uh, the sheltered workshop. I got hired. I quit at 9. I got hired at, uh, got, an got called at 11 for a job. I interviewed at 2, and I start my new job, and I told her the rest of the story that I just told you, and my mama was watching. And she was, she was beginning to see that the promises of God are real. And she was bragging to our neighbor lady who lived in, we had a rental house. Her name was Badmouth Betty. She was one of my dad's bartenders. Can anybody guess why they called her Badmouth Betty? <laughs> I bet you can guess. Betty was watching also, going through all kinds of problems. Later that, and Betty was thrilled to hear that. I just got goosebumps. Betty's about 86 years old. And about, about a month after uh, I got hired at the rehab center, Betty got saved. And she quit my dad's bar. <laughs> and she has walked with God ever since. And she's a beautiful Christian woman today. She's yet living. She's about 86 and just... She'll tell you, you walk in, she'll just, she'll, are you saved? And if you say no, she'll try to get you saved. She, and she'll just tell you why. I don't want you to go to hell. That would be foolish. Why would you want to go to hell? Well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, then get saved. Amen? Bad mouth, bad, got saved. She ain't scared of nobody. I know that's a double negative, but you know what I'm talking about. Down south, I'm allowed not only, I'm allowed to use double negatives, and I'm even going to start learning how to use triple negatives. Ain't nobody, never, going to stop me. Was, did I, was that a triple negative? I think it was. The English teacher's like, oh, no, stop it. I know we got an art teacher back there, so I better be careful. <clears throat> My wife. 
and an art student over here. How cool is that? And so they're watching us, amen? They'll see your manner of good works. And so don't worry about what you can't control. Don't worry about how they send it away for a Christian act. Where's God now? You talk about how great God is. Where's he at now? If you had such a great God, why do you got these problems? I'm glad I don't go to that crazy Shawnee Hills Baptist Church. Those people are crazy. I told you that. They're watching you, amen? They're watching closely. My mama moved to Florida. My stepfather took her away from everything. And she was alone, and she tuned on the TV. To, she wouldn't let her go to church, so she turned on something about religion on TV. She found the old-time gospel hour, Dr. Jerry Falwell. And she, he, she heard him talk about Dr. Dowell, the G.B. Vic. These are the men who trained me. He went to the same college I went to. She thought, well, he went to Duke's college. He must be good. So she started listening to Jerry Falwell on the TV. He told her about the same Jesus I told her about. She didn't want to listen to me. But the Spirit of God was working on my mama. She got down on her knees, put her hand on the TV set, and Jerry Falwell led my mama to Christ. Two weeks before he died, he met my mama. And she told him her story. He was speaking at her church in Florida. And she said, I have a son who pastors in New York. And Jerry Falwell said to my mom, is his name Duke? My mama was happy. <laughs> he knew me. I, he had that moral majority thing, and I was the bring leader in our area trying to get people to live for God and all that kind of stuff. So Falwell, he wasn't like my bosom buddy, but he had a photographic memory. And he, uh, he remembered me. My mama was happy. The night after... He met my mom. He was flown up to Atlanta, and there was a conference, Baptist Bible Fellowship National Leaders Conference, and I was a New York State BBF director and president, and, and Falwell walked up behind me, grabbing me into a chokehold, not too tight, rear naked choke, actually, is what it was, if you're an MMA fan. Any MMA fans in here I need to pray for besides me? Dude. He got me in a rear naked choke. He said, I met your mama last night. Heard her testimony. She says, I didn't realize I led your mama to Jesus. He said, I heard her whole testimony. He goes, quite frankly, he, she said, he said, her testimony is better than yours. <laughs> Remember my mama yelling at me, rejecting Jesus, telling me off? tell you my dad's story here and we'll just kind of wrap it up tonight is your hope growing a little bit all these nasty people bad mouth betty's in your life amen people that told you off don't want to hear it this is exciting in it my dad liquor business his whole life raised in it raised us in it you talk about a sinner I was like, every year, his list of sins. He was a mess. Street fighter, dr uh, dr uh, drank a lot, fought a lot, domestic violence, immorality. My dad prayed 
from my family. Mom, my sister came to Christ. My mama came to Christ. About eight years later, my brother Dan came to Christ. Twenty years, my brother Doug came to Christ. I was at the church. I was visiting his church. His wife had gotten saved off crack cocaine and delivered. And he saw that uh, maybe I need to be delivered from cocaine as well. He started going to church. He was under conviction. He went for about six weeks, and I knew he was close. I went to his church that night, and I'm sitting next to him, and the preacher it was a Wednesday night service. The preacher preached the gospel. My brother shoved me out of his way. He said, get out of my way, big brother. It's, time, it's finally time I get saved. And he ran down the aisle, and the preacher waited for me to come and lead my brother to Christ. A month later, I came back and baptized my brother in Brubaker Creek, wherever that's at. My brother's never wavered. He's walked with God ever since. 20 years, prayed for my brother Doug. Remember the one that put the sign on, no rednecks allowed? <laughs> Doug got saved <clears throat> 22 years later. My dad, the same man who led me to Christ, Ira Merce, when I went forward at Cook Road Baptist June 18, 1972. He called me in 1994. 22 years later, he said, I feel impressed to go visit your dad tonight and tell him about Jesus. I said, I'd be praying for you, man. We had our whole Bible Institute praying for my dad that night. He called me back at 10 o'clock said, guess what? The same man, Ira Merce, who led me to Christ, June 18, 1972, 22 years later, led my dad to Christ. Give it up for Jesus. Is your hope growing a little bit? My children used to pray for Papa at our little family altar. We just called it Family Church. Dear Lord, we pray for Papa. Help Papa to give his heart to Jesus. Leah, Rachel, Dookie, little children praying, Dear Lord Jesus, we pray for Papa. May Papa give his heart to Jesus too. We want Papa to go to heaven with us. And our father was listening to my children. Their whole lives they prayed for Papa. And I called Dad immediately. He was, he was in tears. He said, yeah, he says, it's about time. He said, can you come? He goes, I don't want to talk to you about this over the phone. He said, can you just come? I mean, it was like two days. We're in Ohio. Come to Dad's house. He's got this chair. It's like a throne. This chair could seat six. These arms of the chair, three kids here. Th oh, we only had three, but he put my girls over here, my son over here. He's on his throne, sets that thing back. And my kids, my daughters love Papa. And he was funny. He was a funny guy. And Rachel would say, Papa, you got a big nose. He'd say, no, I have a small head. <laughs> sick, sick dude. But he got saved. And Papa told my children, with my daughters literally wrapped around his neck, with tears streaming down his face, Joanne and I will never forget that day. And Papa told his Jesus story to my children. And with tears, he thanked them for praying for Papa. Somebody say amen. You feel like nobody's listening? You're probably right. They might not be listening, but Jesus may be come visiting soon. 
Remember how he said, in the day of visitation. I'll close out this message. I didn't know where I was going with it, to be honest, preacher, but I sense his direction. I think he's, I sense his presence among us. Amen. We're in his church. Well, why wouldn't he come? Amen. It's his house. He can come if he wants to. My dad, World War II vet, dad showed us his love, especially after he got saved. I mean, he showed it. We never, us kids never doubted that he loved us, but he never said it. That just wasn't, we just didn't say, I love you. That just wasn't a phrase that went around our family. But after I got saved, I'm very, I I love uh, Pastor Kenny. I know you love me. You've told me that many times. I love you. And uh, I I don't know you folks real well, but I love you as my sisters in the Lord. And I love you in the Lord. That's very, we're comfortable with that. Amen. Well, let me tell you, my dad was not comfortable with that. (laughs) He never told us that he loved us. And it's better to show it than to say it and not show it. But he never said it. So it was a night, my last night with Dad. I knew he was dying. I went to Ohio to see him, from New York to Ohio, Mansfield. And I'm at the hospital with him. And uh, he was really clear that night. It was 6.30 p.m. It was our last talk. I said, Dad, I can stay till you die, or I can go back to New York. He, I said, you make the call. He said, immediately. He said, go to New York and tell people about Jesus. Try to win somebody to Jesus so that's what I did. And I said, this is our last talk. I said, Dad, run the highlight reel. And he did. First thing out of his mouth was, after all the crap I did, I found God. <laughs> there you go. And we went down memory lane, and we had a blast. Two and a half hours. It's 9 o'clock. Helped him get into bed. And I prayed with my father. And he prayed out loud. The only time I ever heard him pray, he prayed. It was the last, his last night. He prayed out loud. Thank God for his preacher kid. He said, I pray that, Lord, that you'll use Duke to bring many people to Christ. Thank you that all my kids, he would say, all my kids are stroking with you, Jesus. That's how he'd say it. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He prayed for me. Amen. And I had him right where I wanted him. I leaned over. My nose about six inches away from his big old nose. I said, Dad, I love you. And, of course, the natural response you want to be back is what? Love you too, son. And he couldn't do it. He said, Dad, did you hear me? I love you. He got scared. Oh, I love you too. <laughs> said, See, love you, Dad. See you on the other side. Bye-bye. That was it. Walked out. Never saw him again. Here. Here. You got anybody that's messed up? Drug addiction. Gender dysphoria, alcohol, divorce, 
kids in scary foster situations. We need Jesus, amen. And Jesus says, that's what I'm here for. Don't worry about that. Focus here. Walk honestly. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Establish a pattern of good works that they shall behold. They are watching you. And in the day of visitation. Remember when Jesus visited you? That was kind of a scary day, wasn't it? He visited you. As far as I can tell, John 1, 9, Jesus Christ lighteth the path of every man that cometh into the world. I don't think that's a lie. You know what I think, preacher? I think Jesus visits everybody. I got 240 hits on my podcast in Syria one month. I don't know anybody in Syria. Syria, Muslim country. Muslims are finding Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's directing them online. They're learning English so they can hear the gospel. They're finding the Pastor Duke podcast and they're tuning me in. And my friend, according to John, who'd have thunk it? I can't wait to get on the other side and see who came to Christ in Syria. 227 downloads one month in Pakistan. Do whatever you do, hardly is unto the Lord. What does that pattern of good, work, good works look like? Well, we're doing camp this week. If you got free time, a pattern of good works is come to camp. Amen. Pattern of good works is whatever needs done around the church. I remember going to preacher and say, preacher, anything you need, let me know. I only work in 30 hours a week now. So I did about 40 hours a week at the church. Best thing I ever did. Why not lay up, why not lay up treasures in heaven where moths and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal? You live for yourself and be miserable or live for God and be happy. That's a no-brainer, amen? So I think what we should do is have an absolute, unconditional surrender to Jesus. Leave the results to him. I think we'll like the results. Will life get easier if I do that? Nope. I promise you, it won't get easier because it's not for you to have an easy way. It's for God to use you to bring glory to him. That's how this thing works. And so, do you have a little more hope now than you did 40 minutes ago? And I think as we surrender to him in our heart, I think Jesus would come up and smile. What's your first name? I think Jesus would come up to Jason and say, dude, you ain't seen nothing yet, man. <laughs> Amen? You think Jesus won't call you dude? Say amen, bro. I got at least one amen on that. Dude. Dude means a lot of things, doesn't it? Dude. Dude? Dude, 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 dude. That means wait, right? Dude, 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 dude. It's a wonderful word. 
We should use it. Dude. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Preacher, why don't you come and close out the services?